Welcome back. Uh, this is Tim Travis, your host of the Dynamic Investing Podcast, also CEO of TNT Capital Management. And today, as we close out, uh, get towards the end of January of 2024 here, I wanted to talk about the market, various investments, and kind of what we're seeing. It's it's a time of contradictory data. So, you know, the inflationary data, uh, it has been decent. You know, the PCE number, which the Fed looks at closely, uh, was quite good. But then you've got, you know, the situation in the Middle East, it's getting worse, quite a bit worse. Uh, so, you know, uh, with the Houthis uh, in Yemen and now expanding into Iran even further, you know, a lot of the shipping industry is is having to divert their routes. So they're shifting their routes to a longer uh, a longer paths, which is increasing the pricing on shipments. And it's also just delaying the amount of time that it takes to get shipments. And so uh, as shipping as shipping prices increase, those prices do make their way out to the, the prices that we're paying on on goods, right? So that's exactly what we don't want. We, we finally have inflation data getting better. And now you have what essentially is a supply chain issue. And so that could harm the Fed's plans to, to cut interest rates, uh, which would be a, a big negative because, you know, so many industries in the United States, including real estate, uh, you know, manufacturing, all, all these different all these different sectors that that have a lot of debt. They really, you know, need interest rates to come down to really, uh, you know, be able to refinance and, and things like that. So especially commercial real estate and residential. I mean, residential uh, sales are, are at incredibly low levels because no one wants to move because they have a 30 year mortgage in place at, at 3% and they don't want to buy a new house and have to finance it at 7%. Right. So you have that. And then you have, you know, uh, GDP growth was good last year, uh, dramatically beating expectations. But you look at some of these uh, kind of regional manufacturing and, and service uh, index numbers, uh, and, and they've been terrible. I mean, they have been really bad, really worrisome. A lot of data that you would only see in a recession. And so I've been doing a lot of research. And, and you know, I think you have to look at unemployment a lot differently now then you did 10 years ago, then you did 20 years ago, then you did 30 years ago. And the reason for that is really the gig economy. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's very different where before, you know, if, if you lost your job, you know, you're, you're going to go probably straight on unemployment. But, but nowadays, there's options such as, as Uber or Uber Eats or Upwork or you rent your car on Turo. There's so many different options that you can likely make more than you would on unemployment that it's it's a lot easier to stay employed. And so a lot of people are making that decision. And I think that's a, a big net positive, you know, for the economy uh, and the government and everybody. Uh, but, but, and then, you know, you talk to people, I, I stop at a restaurant pretty regularly uh, after the gym and uh, and I talked to to the guys that work there. Got to know him pretty well. And and uh, one of them, he's in his late fifties. And uh, and uh, you know, he talks to me. He's kind of struggling financially. And and so he's picking up extra shifts uh, doing Uber. You know, after 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 work, and he's helping out his parents and stuff like that. So there's a lot of that going on. 
and we live in California. It's very expensive here. So I, I certainly understand. I think that that's a very common theme. So I think that if you look at unemployment through the same prism as 20 years ago, I think that it might be a little bit misleading. And so, you know, we'll see how this year progresses. I'm, I'm really not making any big interest rate bets one way or the other. I, I still kind of expect rates to come down a little bit. I don't know if they'll be as aggressive as as the market is implying, unless something extraneous happens. You know, if if the geopolitical situation gets worse, which it seems like it very well might, or if the economy starts to really slow down, then the Fed could get more aggressive. Uh, but but we'll see. You know, investing is really about you know focusing on the micro. Uh, people like Warren Buffett. Uh, Charlie Munger, they don't obsess over the macro because it's so hard to forecast. And you could expend so much energy. People that are so much smarter than me expend so much energy on it. And they're almost always wrong, right? So it's good to be aware. But 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 really, I mean, you want to find investments that are undervalued where you have the expectation to make money uh, based on fundamental analysis, Right. And so that's what we do. And so when you look at the market, it's hard not to focus a lot of attention on big cap tech. So, you know, you look at the top seven companies and they, they consist of about 30% of the S&P 500. That is, is a record level. And, you know, if you're invested in index funds or if you're invested in mutual funds, ETFs, Many of those funds are kind of closet index funds, so they're they're going to have very similar concentration levels. And the problem is, is that is that as these stocks get so big, and as more and more money flows into passive investments, the valuations kind of just keep expanding. But the same the same thing that that puts the momentum upwards when money's coming in can occur when money comes out. Uh, so so when people are selling out of that stuff in a stock panic or, or, or whatever, a big bear market that a lot of money is going to be leaving and it, it's going to cause the, the valuations to likely come down. So I looked at the valuations of the big seven. So let's talk about them. So on a forward price to earnings basis, Microsoft trades at 36 times. NVIDIA trades at 31.2 times. What's crazy is NVIDIA trades at about 33 times uh, trailing sales. That's a huge number. And if you're familiar, I've I've wrote about it a bunch in my newsletter. I, I believe his name's Scott McNeely uh, from Sun Microsystems. What he wrote when during the tech bubble, when investors were valuing his company at ten times sales, the the crazy assumptions implied in that price. Well, now I mean, m- many many of these companies are trading at well over ten times sales, and in Nvidia's case, thirty three times sales, up from twenty two. Uh, Amazon's trading at 47.1 times forward earnings. Tesla, 55.5 times earnings. I mean, their last quarter was, was not the greatest. You know, that's the only stock of these that's really been struggling now. Uh, Google, 23.8 times earnings and Meta, 22.6. So I view both Google and Meta as kind of the two uh, most reasonable of those. Now, these are amazing companies. I don't want to discount that whatsoever. They're they're literally the best companies in the world. So they deserve to trade, you know, reasonably expensively for sure. But a lot of the optimism in AI and a lot of the the potential benefits, a lot of these are going to be priced in somewhat, right? So so uh, you know, one one 
example that I remember very well is Microsoft. So in December of 1999, at a split adjusted basis of 59.96, the stock, the stock, that's when it peaked. All right. Uh, and, and, you know, that was dot-com bubble at, at its finest uh, peak levels there. Then the stock finally bottomed out in March of 2009 at $15.15. So it lost about 75% of its value over that following 10 years. And then the stock wouldn't close above the 1999 level until October 2016. So since that time, Microsoft's been on an incredible run, right? But but there was a, a, a you know nearly a 17-year period where you know you had to endure a seventy-five percent drawdown and your you made no money. So when you when you uh, you know put that towards the the seven companies, not that all of them will have the same type of sell-off by any means, but but when you put that on these companies and they're such a big part of the index, you could see that the index is fairly susceptible. And and so I think you just want to be careful in that. And so, so you know, at TNT Capital Management, we like to hand select each and every security in the portfolio for the most part. Uh, so we're very focused on the values that we're paying and the prices that we're paying for business. Uh, and, and we're really focused on cash flow. So what is the earnings yield of a company? What's the free cash flow yield? Uh, you know, if this company were to pay out all of its earnings as a cash dividend to you, what is that yield like? You know, so you have a stock like let's let's say like Citigroup, where that that number might be fifteen or sixteen percent is the earnings yield on normalized earnings. So that's huge, right? Whereas, you know, on a stock like Amazon, that might be you know two percent. So it's a big big difference. Uh, and and so I think that I think that investors that are super bulled up right now, which it seems like many people are. And that's often what you see after a really good year like 2023 was. I think they might be discounting uh, quite a bit of the risk that is out there. Uh, so it's a great time to kind of review your portfolio. Uh, we'd be happy to do that for you. Uh, we offer a, a free complimentary uh, portfolio review uh, where we could look and make sure that that you're invested in a manner consistent with your investment objectives and your risk tolerance and and, uh, you know, if that's something you're interested in, uh, feel free to give us a call or, or give us an email. Uh, our website's www.ttvalueinvesting.com. And, you know, I was listening to uh, uh, a couple podcasts recently, one by uh, a friend of mine, Zach Abraham, who I really like his, his podcast. And you know, he, he's been talking about the economy and really the mixed data, kind of like I mentioned earlier. And it is very confusing, you know, because there's a lot of data points that show that we're basically in a recession. And then there's others that are the complete opposite. Right. And so one thing that I think gets under discussed is the fact that you have so much money coming, uh, being paid out of Social Security right now with the baby boomer generation. So in that money is inflation adjusted each year, right? And and because we had some monster years in inflation, there were some big increases in those payments. So we've seen uh, you know payments increase there by 150 billion, which is a huge huge number, and that that helps to offset you know some of the expiring income tax credits. Uh, 
And next year, those categories uh, should increase once again, you know, uh, because you still have more inflation coming in. So I think that I think that there's some almost closeted stimulus that a lot of people aren't aren't really factoring into things. And then you also have, you know, the CHIPS Act, stuff like that. The reshoring trend is very real. You know, you see that my in-laws uh, are in Arizona. I used to live out there. Uh, and you see it. I mean, there's huge, you know, Intel plants, Taiwan Semiconductor plants uh, being built there. You know, Blackstone's building the data centers. Uh, so a lot of the Sunbelt, uh, you're seeing that that kind of uh, huge investment in capital coming in. And then, of course, that brings in, you know, the workforce and that bolsters real estate. Um, so that's a big deal. Reshoring is a big deal. And I, I'm happy about reshoring. I think that's Im imperative. Uh, if God forbid we were ever in a, a, a global war again, uh, which sadly uh, seems likely, you know, the ability to manufacture goods and turn manufacturing around uh, is key. I mean, that was huge for us in World War II. Uh, so, so I think that that's one area that a lot of people are missing. There is a lot of stimulus that, that really uh, is out there still. It's just not as obvious as it used to be. Now, uh, when we look at kind of uh, the investment climate, I think that we're finding value in some of the areas that have been hurt by higher interest rates. So if you look at bonds, for instance, you know, now that they've kind of reset in price and we found this, especially last year, we found a lot of investment grade bonds that were yielding eight to 10%, uh, you know, throughout last year. A lot of that was brought upon by the, the pseudo banking crisis, uh, which, which hurt the, the hurt bonds in a lot of different fields, uh, especially finance, financial companies. Uh, so we were able to pick up a lot last year, which really helped. And we saw a huge rally in them, you know, as the year ended and, but still, you know, the valuations aren't as attractive as they were last year, but you can still find really good, you know, investment quality credits at six and a half, seven percent, which might not, you know, sound the sexiest in the world, but, but the reality is, is that if the market is basically flat or up, you know, 3% on average over the next decade, which I don't think is impossible whatsoever. I think that that there's a very reasonable possibility that something like that happens kind of like a lost decade. Like we've seen multiple times, including 2000 to 2012, you know, those types of fixed income investments are going to be quite attractive. Another area that I've been writing up a lot, I, I publish a lot of research on Seeking Alpha, uh, so you can find my articles there. But uh, the real estate investment trusts and just real estate companies in general, you know, a lot of the quality ones. So, uh, you know, apartments uh, or, you know, the, the triple net leases. Uh, you have you have, uh, you know, some like medical office REITs, for instance, not office REITs in general, but medical office focus, like biotech focus, uh, like an Alexandria uh, real estate, for instance, you know, there there's some attractive companies there that, that don't see a ton of volatility in their cash flows or their dividends. They have really good dividend track records like uh, Mid-America Apartment Communities, for instance. I just wrote that up yesterday and they have never cut their dividend even during 2009, uh, since they, they became a public company, I believe it was 1994, uh, if, I, if I recall correctly. Uh, and, and they should continue to. And so, you know, if you look at like apartments, housing affordability is terrible right now. 
it's so hard for people to have enough for the down payment and then let alone, you know, you have to have the income to qualify uh, for the mortgage and make these higher payments at higher interest rates, right? So prices are expensive and then rates make it that much worse. So, you know, people are moving, you know, from like San Francisco or Seattle to the Sun Belt, and they're working for companies like Intel or, or Taiwan Semiconductor or whoever, and, you know, they need to find places to live. And it's hard if they can't afford or maybe they just haven't established their family yet. They're living in, you know, kind of like luxury type apartments, uh, which are great. I did that for many years myself. And uh, and and so, you know, these companies benefit from that. And, and there was a great period um, during the lockdowns and pandemic uh, where they were able to, you know, uh, they, they had so much demand that they were able to raise prices quite a bit. And so a lot of supply came into the space. And so uh, right now, investors are concerned about the, the supply that's coming out and the pressure that's going to put on growth short term. But because of interest rates are so high now, now there's very little being built. So once once the market kind of absorbs that near term supply, then there's a, a great opportunity for growth over the next three years. So if with real estate, these are assets that are going to produce cash flows for decades, many decades. Uh, and so, yes, interest rates matter a great deal. But you'll hear people say, well, why would you invest in a REIT when you get, you know, a 5% dividend, but I can get that on a, 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 thir- a three-month treasury bill? Well, a couple of things. One, that dividend should grow if it's a good company that is growing their funds from operation, uh, they should easily be able to grow that dividend. A lot of these I expect to grow by five to 7% per annum. And the Fed's already saying that they're likely to cut rates. So that that treasury bill has substantial reinvestment risk. So, you know, having assets and plus these these stocks should benefit if rates do go down. They don't need them to go down, but but at the right price. So, so those are another area where we're finding uh, some attractive opportunities. Uh, so we're not taking a ton of risk right now. I don't think it's a time to be overly aggressive. I really do not. I think you'll probably have better opportunities. You, it's tough to imagine we're not going to see a lot of volatility with the election and and with the geopolitical situation. And you know, there's just so much optimism priced in. If you get concerned about the Fed actually cutting rates or something like that, you know, it could be, it could be something. And then there's another uh, just topic I wanted to chat about, kind of on the subject. So. So if you go back um, to the late 1990s, you could get a 7% yield on bonds in AA credits. Going up to uh, you know 2000, AAA were offering a 7% yield. Now as we go back to you know when rates bottomed in you know 2021 roughly, it was triple C credits that offered a 7% yield. And right now, you know, it's in the B to double B range. Okay. So, so this, this came from uh, the long view on X, a really good account. And, uh, and, you know, that, that, that just shows that, that, you know, it varies. 7% could be a good yield. It could be a bad yield. I think right now it's a pretty good yield especially if you think that a recession over like, let's say the next two years is likely. Uh, and so rates go down. I think that that's pretty attractive. So I, I like bonds here. I do, you know, and, and what we've been doing for our clients and, and what we recommend doing and what we can do for you is build a bond ladder. 
So uh, kind of a barbell approach where you have short-term, mid-term, long-term. I think we create a lot of value by using uh, both funds to one extent, but also hand-selecting individual bonds. Just depends on on the client, uh, the amount of assets and that sort of thing. But and and also when there is distress, you can get incredible bargains. I mean, we we bought some investment grade credits at twelve to fourteen percent yield to maturities, which is just fantastic. Uh, so those are some of the areas that we're finding opportunity. Uh, it's a busy time of quarter for us. So whenever earnings season gets really aggressive, that's when I have to really dig in and do a lot of research, and I meet with my investment committee and. And uh, so it's a busy time. So that's why I haven't been able to put the podcast out uh, last week, but, but it should be just about every week. I expect it. We also have uh, a radio show, uh, the truth about money, which you can also find on www.ttvalueinvesting.com. I'd encourage you to sign up for our newsletter. If you're not already a subscriber, uh, you can do that on the site as well, but we have a, a, a newsletter. We post at least once a week often twice a week where we give updates, research report,